Welcome to Deeper Walks on the Trail podcast. You are on the trail with father-daughter duo Marcus and Stephanie Warner. I'm Stephanie, and I'll be talking with my father, Dr. Marcus Warner, as we discuss topics that help you stay on the trail to a deeper walk with God. All right, it's episode 13. In the seventh part of our fish series, we'll continue looking at the eye of fish identity. Father, I'm happy to be with you. Yes, I know. I'm happy to be with you too. It's nice to be sitting at the same table. We can see each other's eyes. And I was really admiring, right? The uh, the gold eyeshadow, and the, <laughs> the sun makes it glitter. It's We're sitting in front of a window. Yeah, together. it's actually very muted. And I don't give people the wrong impression. It's very pretty. I don't but, have like crazy glitter on my eyes. No, like nice it's gold. not 13-year-old glitter. You're you look really very funny. <laughs> Oh man, it's dangerous. Yeah, we just recorded our, our prior episode where yes. we were talking about childhood and, and yes. storytelling, and yes. so yeah, we were reminiscing about um, how you you would tell stories to me yes. versus Ben and the difference of how he would want to take over. <laughs> yeah, it's like you you always just went didn't never wanted me to stop. Go and tell me more, tell me more, and Ben would take over the story. Like, what if this happens? Let's make that happen. Mm-hmm. I was like, I. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, and then very I would different. take the ideas and I'd be like, oh, I love this. Now, how can I do my own? That's just like it. And anyway, yes. Yeah, fun times. Fun yep. times. Still happens. Okay. <laughs> Indeed. So, yes, today we are, um, yeah, still talking about identity and joy. Um, and we're going to look more from the brain science uh, perspective. So, um, from the, our brain's perspective, identity is always relational. Um, talk to us more about this. So, you know, having the opportunity to write a f- couple of books with Dr. Wilder, I've uh, learned um, more about the brain than I ever dreamed I would. <laughs> and uh, the uh, one of the things I learned is that from the identity center of your brain is located behind your right eye. It controls the left eye because, you know, the optic nerve flips over there. But the uh, that part of my brain is can be thought of as both the joy center and the identity center of my brain, which is really cool because this part of my brain grows with the experience of joy, which means my identity is connected to joy. It is also in the relational part of my brain, which means my identity from my brain's perspective is always connected to relationships. So in other words, I see myself as part of a group and then knowing who my people are helps me understand who I am. So as an infant, I bond and I attach to my mom first and then to uh, others in my life, especially my dad. And I begin to take my identity from what how they see me. So at a very nonverbal, you know, stage, I am learning already. Are people generally happy to see me? And so, if as an infant, I am used to looking into people's eyes and having them light up with joy to see me, that part of my brain is like, oh, you know, gets all excited and I have joy and until it gets overwhelmed and I need a break and then I come back and I, you know, get more and it's hey, here we are again and then. I need a break. So the more of that that I get as an infant, the more capacity for joy that I grow and the more the sense of a stable sense of identity develops that says people are happy to see me. So if I experience sadness and I look for your eyes, are you still happy to see me when I'm sad or I'm angry and I look for your eyes? Are you still happy to see me when I'm angry? That also fuels my emotional stability to know that I can have these different emotions and still be the kind of person that people are happy to be around. And that helps grow my capacity to regulate those emotions and all the rest of it. So there's a whole lot there and we unpack that in some of my other books. Um, But it's uh, 
when it comes to the identity, we call this the other half of identity because there's the Bible side that says, this is who you are, believe it, it's true, build your life on this. Now we're talking more about the side of an identity that I build through attachment and that um, how I do that well and what kind of gets in the way. So when you're talking about seeing people, how having, gosh, what am I trying to say? Mirror neurons. Yeah. Is this <laughs> like when, when you see the look in somebody else's eye and then you interpret it about yourself, is that connected to mirror neurons or is? Yeah. Mirror neurons are way more powerful, right? But then the others, those uh, mirror neurons can be defined as uh, the neurons in our brain that do not learn from words. You know, they don't learn from information. They are reading what's going on. So like if I stare you down with anger in my eyes and say, I love you so much, nothing is better than me. You are, you, know, you aren't going to believe my eyes. You are not going to believe my words mm-hmm. because your mirror neurons are going, wait a second, that is not the message I'm getting. On the other hand, if I'm like, I hate you, you're the worst thing ever, you know, but, but my eyes are like, this is totally sarcastic. This is a joke. You know, you read that and your mirror neurons are figuring that out. Like, oh, this person really, you know, mm-hmm likes me. So uh, that's, it's hugely important. Um, part of our, our development is kind of our brain's capacity to read people, see what they think of us. And that's also why, you know, when it comes to God, having an idea that God is happy to see me, even when I have negative emotions is hard for some people because when they were little and they had negative emotions, people weren't happy to see them. And so it's hard for them to believe that God is. Mm. So in regard to identity and comparison, uh, Grandpa gave you advice that I think about a lot, actually. Uh, He drew a graph, and the bottom represents identity from self, where one end of the spectrum is inferiority, and at the other end of the spectrum is conceit. And then at the top of the graph, it represents identity from God, where at one end is humility, and the other end is confidence. And having this graph all in one picture is helpful to highlight the contrast between humility and inferiority, for instance. Um, and I know a lot of people, I, I feel like I hear, hear people confuse humility and inferiority or things like that a lot. Like, oh, well, I'm just being humble or, oh, they're they're so humble or whatever. And I don't know. Would you talk more about that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember uh, I was a senior in high school and I was just struggling. And I came in to talk to grandpa and my dad. And uh, he, he had a radio broadcast called keeping your balance and he was in the middle of writing a, a script. So he's probably thinking about this already, but he said, the devil always introduces his lies in pairs. And one of those is inferiority and the other is conceit. And he really doesn't care which extreme he gets you to go to because he's got you in bondage either way. And one of the things I've learned is that when my eyes are on myself, I call it like living with a mirror in front of my face. And so I'm looking at myself all the time, and then I compare myself to other people. Well, if I look in the mirror and I compare myself to some people, I go, well, I think I'm better than them. Well, that's conceit. And if I look at myself in the mirror and go, I don't think I'm as good as them, that's inferiority. And it always reminds me of one of my uh, favorite you know, inferiority jokes, and that is the person who had a T-shirt on the front, it said, I have an inferiority complex. And on the back, it said, but it's not a very good one, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, the uh, you get the idea. The uh, inferiority and conceit, I find that most people find themselves actually kind of ping-ponging back and forth between the two. And the reason is that they're ping-ponging back and forth is that their eyes are on themselves and they're practicing comparison. And so 
and it makes perfect sense that I would ping pong back and forth because sometimes I look at myself and compare and feel pretty good about myself. And other times I look at myself and compare and I feel like I'm worthless. And so that's why God says we need to throw away that mirror and take our identity from what he says. And so, you know, my dad was very clear. He's like, we're humble because God remembers that we're just dust. You know, and he looked at me, he said, you know, you're an athlete. He said, what if God took away your athletic ability? What if you couldn't do that anymore? Would that change your identity? Uh, what if, you know, you're smart, you're at the top of the honor roll. What if uh, God took away your intellect and you couldn't think like that and you couldn't remember facts, you know, left and right, would that change your identity, would change who you are? And so it was really in, in, embedded into me early on that I have nothing to be arrogant about, right? That, uh, you know, even when I succeed, it's because God gave me gifts that, uh, and even allowed me the opportunity to get the kind of training to develop those gifts. Where, and then on the other hand, he said, besides the humility is this idea, but you are of great value, so much value that the father decided to sacrifice his good son, if you will, right, to save me, the one who was perfect and did everything right and never let him down. And, you know, he said, I'm going to sacrifice him for you. That's how much I value you. Well, that doesn't give you confidence. That's why Paul says, how will he not also with him freely give you all things? So and I humil- would just throw in there also that Jesus willingly did that too. Yes. Father, Father didn't force him to do that. It wasn't that child abuse as some yes. people have tried to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. Yes. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I cut you off. No, that's fine. I was actually done. So we're yeah. at the point here where in my own life, I do remember the impact that this had because I used to, in high school, I would go to school and I was, I had this burden of feeling like I had to be a witness because I, I was the lone Christian among a lot of non-Christians at, in my public high school. And so I, I tended to not want to interact with people unless I was absolutely confident I could present myself well. And I let that turn into just a general struggle with inferiority. Um, and I remember, especially at that age, doing this with girls because it was like, uh, uh, and, and the locker right next to me was this really pretty cheerleader and I would never talk to her. And all of a sudden for the first time the next day, instead of looking at her and saying, I wonder what she thinks of me, I kind of threw the mirror away and I looked at her and I said, that's an actual human being. I wonder what her needs are. I wonder what's going on in her life. And it was really all of a sudden I realized that most of the people at school, I wasn't even interacting like they were human beings. I was interacting with them like they were there to judge me or they were people I had to, you know, find a way to impress or something like this. And all of a sudden it just flipped the whole, it just flipped everything for me. It it gave me a tremendous amount of freedom Mm -hmm. to kind of be myself. Like I'm going to be okay because God's got me. So I'm free to look at these other people for what's really going on in their life and how to help them. So I'm so glad you went there. I was, I was going to lead you there next. (laughs) How does, how does throwing away the mirror help us interact with other people? It's not just all about us still then, you know, I think that that made the big difference because I had never talked to her before because I was so intimidated. And that day we actually had a really good conversation and, uh, it was also one of the things where I realized that uh, Dr. Wildster said, I, I mentioned the fact that she was a pretty cheerleader on purpose because immature people have a tendency to need to sexualize all of their relationships. And so as an immature young man, you can only see girls like that as potential sexual partners. It's really, that's just kind of the way we're wired. But the more mature you are, 
the more you're able to see them as a human being, right? And then actually have a human being relationship with this person. And so it was, uh, uh, I think it was the, the freedom to see her as a human was something that surprised me. When I read nonfiction, I love to highlight and annotate. And I just have to say that in this chapter of A Deeper Walk, chapter seven, the other half of identity, I have two hearts and a star in the margin, two different colors of underlines and brackets and a penciled note that says one of the most important paragraphs in the book. So maybe I liked it. I guess um, so. <laughs> uh, and it's it's. I'm you, curious now. <laughs> <laughs> and it's where you put it all together at the end of the chapter. So I'm just going to read part of it. Um, the question of our identity is, at its core, a worldview question. It is about who gets to define reality. Do we let our reality be defined by the world, the flesh, and the devil? Or do we turn to God for the definitive answer to what is real? If I define myself by comparison to others or based on how I feel, I am using the world's system. When I look to God and say about myself what he says, I am dealing with reality as it actually is from God's perspective. The good news here is that God thinks I am incredibly special. Identity is the foundation on which we must build our lives. In Christ, we have a secure identity. Woo! There it was. That's the summer, isn't it? No, I I, I think that uh, this was something that that hit me early on. Um, was that every culture? My dad, your grandpa, my dad. He had a uh, um, he was known for teaching worldview, right, and teaching culture. He was a he taught missions, so he taught missionary anthropology. And his ex- explanation of how culture operated was that every culture at its core has a worldview. The worldview creates the values, the values create the behavior. And that part of our worldview is, is there a God? What is he like? You know, what's my relationship to him? Who am I? Where do I come from? What's my destiny? What's my future? Who are my people? How do we, you know, what do we value? What do we think? How do we explain the way life operates? So all of these, I grew up around all these culture questions and worldview issues and realizing that um, that there is a kingdom reality. There's a kingdom worldview and that kingdom worldview needs to drive the way that we see, see reality. And in a, that every culture has a pecking order and that pecking order is based on comparison. And that is how do I compare to you determines where I am in the pecking order. And so, you know, if I'm good looking, Generally, in our culture, that's all I need to do, and I'm going to be toward the top of the pecking order, right? I just show up, and you're good looking, and everybody's like, "Okay, they're accepted." Um, if I'm not so good looking, you know, then I'm, I, I learn to perform. I want to be funny. I want to be witty. I want to, you know, get people's attention in some other way, uh, so I can be accepted because I want to be up toward the top of that pecking order. And if I can't do those things, then maybe I want to be a high achiever, and I'm going to work really hard, and I'm going to get best grades and I'm going to be number one because I want to be accepted. And if people have all three, right, I got looks, I got personality and I got achievement. Now it's like, okay, you're, you know, you're just number one. You're up at the top of all this. Well, the kingdom pecking order, right? Jesus teaches the opposite. He says, don't strive to be number one in the world's pecking order. Instead, be a servant of everybody. That means we need to be looking out for those people who get trampled on uh, in this world and are not at the top of the pecking order. We need to have the kind of secure identity that allows us to see people and to help them and not feel threatened by those who may be better than us and not feel, you know, superior and almost even disgusted by people who are under us. But uh, to realize that my job is to help, 
And my job is to look out for those in need and take care of them. That was partly what was going on in my high school experience was I was also uh, getting out of the pecking order mentality and going, let's just see people as people and treat them this way. And let's be a servant, you know, to, to others. That's so good. When, when applied to, you know, so you were talking as, you know, kind of the infant child level stages. Can you, can you talk more about how to, what identity looks like at the, the various five stages of maturity? Sure. As a, uh, so as an infant, I have no ability to act like myself when I change emotions, right? With every emotion, I feel I turn into somebody else. So at the child level, I am learning how to name the emotions that I'm feeling and stay myself anyway. As an adult, I should be pretty practiced at going through, you know, I may experience all kinds of emotions throughout the course of a day, but by you know, at the end of the day, I am who I, I, I'm back to being myself. With uh, At the parent level, I've been living as an adult for so long. I'm now ready to help somebody else with their emotions. I'm, I can come alongside this infant who needs to know that they're loved and accepted and special with every emotion that they feel and, and pass that on uh, to the next generation. And then as an elder, I'm kind of noticing where there are holes and who needs a surrogate parent? You know, saying like they could really use a father figure in their life. They could really use a mother figure in their life. And we talk about spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. And I think that that's less of a passing on information than it is a a uh, taking you under their uh, under the wing and being uh, a protector uh, for for those people. And you got to be just really secure in your own identity. Because I don't need you to give me an identity. I'm secure enough in my own identity to take care of you and take care of myself at the same time. So that it's it's huge for for us to have adult parents and elders in our lives. Before we wrap up, um, could you talk about heart identity and heart values? Yeah, this concept of a heart value came from Thrive, I think. I don't know if it, who originated it, but I, I'm familiar with it with Chris, Chris and Jen Corsi and they're teaching at Thrive today. And this idea that we have uh, heart values that are unique to us. And you can kind of, I kind of pair that with John Eldridge's What Makes Your Heart Come Alive. I love uh, his story in Wild at Heart where he said he went to a bookstore, he picked up a book, read one line and it changed his life, <laughs> right? And that one sentence was, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes your heart come alive. The world needs more people whose hearts are alive. Amen. Amen. So that was the thing. So the question is, what makes your heart come alive is a heart value. And so, for example, if I come into a room full of clutter and everything in me just wants to organize it, it means organization is a heart value for me. And I bless the world by helping to bring order to chaos. Well, that's just like God, right? What did he do at creation? He brought order to what was chaotic. So when I, my love of organization is a reflection of the image of God. Uh, Maybe I am a person who is administrative and it's like, I see chaos among people and I'm like, oh, I want to bring order to this. I want this to be more systematic. I want these people to have, you know, order rather than chaos. Again, that's being God-like. Maybe I have a strong need for justice and I see somebody being treated unfairly as I want to make that stop. I want to do something about this. Or maybe I have a strong sense of mercy. And that is, I'm more concerned about hugging that person who's having <laughs> trouble, right? I, and so some of us are like, oh, I want to give them a hug. And some of us are, I want to stop these bad people, right? And so there's all kinds of uh, emotions. Now, the thing of it is, is that the devil recognizes our heart values and he wants to distort them and he wants to 
turn them into something negative. So God sometimes has to redeem our heart values for us. Sometimes the devil wants to crush them in us. Sometimes he wants to pervert them in us. God wants to combine them with joy and with uh, kingdom. And between kingdom and joy, he wants to, to bring out that unique thing that he's put in each one of us that makes us us and makes us special in his eyes. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole thing in itself. That is right? a whole thing in yeah. itself. Thank you for that window. Um, any final thoughts? So again, as we're talking about identity, I think we, we looked at there's kind of, I look at it as left brain and right brain. Right, my left brain identity are these covenant things that are true about me. So it's the pact, it's all the the list that Neil Anderson put together. It's like these things are legally true of me in Christ. That's all the left brain stuff, and it's good for me to remind myself that this is reality. God has defined reality. Here it is. The right brain stuff is more of this attachment with God. Am I fear bonded to God? Am I am I joy bonded to God? Um, have I internalized at a heart level? This is who I am. And have I done that by being connected to people who call it out of me and people who see that value and remind me who it is and how it's like me to act? And so uh, this is this idea that when it comes to identity, sometimes we've been pretty well trained in the left brain stuff, but we haven't gotten trained in the right brain stuff. And that's why we talk about the other half of identity. I want people to understand that this is just important. In fact, if you don't get this part right, the other part is probably going to fall away at some point because, you know, it, it it just hasn't taken root. So that's what we're doing here. That's why we have two chapters on identity to kind of look at the left and the right brain side of this, um, both the uh, legal identity and then kind of the way we live our identity with, with other people. Thank you. We, uh, uh, so we've been working through fish backwards. Yes. H. <laughs> yes. Um, so now we're, we just finished I, and now we're going on to F. So our next two episodes are going to be looking at freedom. Um, and so we have that to look forward to. So thank you, dad. And thank you all for joining us on the trail today. If you want to keep going deeper with us on your walk with God, please subscribe to the Deeper Walk podcast and share with your friends. You can find more at our website, deeperwalkinternational.org. Thanks again. We'll see you back next week.